0: APU American Public University is proud to present the Everyday Scholar. Hello. My name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer, and today we're talking to Wes O'Donnell, Director of Social Communities at American Public Education Incorporated, and a veteran of the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force. And today our conversation is about the top three myths some employers believe about veterans. Welcome, Wes. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bjorn. Excellent. Um, Love having these conversations, love talking about the military. And so let's talk about the first myth. Veterans initially joined the military because they couldn't get into college. You know, I hear this a lot.
1: I often go and speak to companies about why hiring veterans makes sense from a business perspective. And I sometimes hear people join the military because they couldn't get into college. They're uneducated. This is their only option. So when you go join the military, you take a test called the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, or the ASVAB. And your score on that exam largely dictates what jobs are available to you in the military. For instance, It takes a pretty high score to be a nuclear electronics technician in the Navy, but it doesn't take a very high score to qualify for the infantry, or as I like to call us, uh, high velocity projectile interceptors. When I was in infantry basic training at Fort Benning, one of my fellow recruits had just graduated with a four-year degree from Harvard University in international relations. But I think this is the coup de grace According to federal data collected in the 2017 Current Population Survey, 35% of post-9-11 veterans have a bachelor's degree or higher compared to 32% of the general U.S. population. So, if anything, military and veterans are slightly
0: more educated than their civilian counterparts. And that is a great stat. I've heard this all my life too, that veterans initially joined the military because they couldn't get into college. And it's almost as if people are viewing them as a monolith. And it never helps when anybody views any group of people as a monolith, because any group of people is extraordinarily diverse. Besides the different armed forces, everybody goes into the military for different reasons. My dad went into the military for a different reason. And people today go into the military and just really shows that The reasons people go into the military, of course, which is an all-volunteer force, uh, vary from person to person.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's probably linked also to pop culture. You know, we've seen the old, from the Vietnam era, somebody who gets in trouble and the judge gives them the option, go to prison or join the military. You know, so I think the military just collectively has become sort of, uh, maybe it's just a safety net for people that that's the backup option for people that don't have any other options. As you said, that's definitely not the case.
0: It's not. And as a comparison, I can only describe it as there's the old adage, if you can't do, you teach. So it really makes the teaching profession as as if it's a, a monolith of people who can't do whatever they originally wanted to do. And they're, well, now they're just teaching. But much like the military, teaching is, it really services the community. And it's one of those things that's so important. And there's nothing more important to a country than defending the country from a variety of different threats that exist out there. You know, much like the military teaching is a service in which you are literally helping educate everyone, the future generation, including future people who are going to be in the military. And so that myth is is, is one of those that are, out, that are out there. I think it'll still be there because all myths do exist. I like that you included that stat, which shows that the people in the military actually have a higher preponderance of bachelor's degrees are higher than the general public which is absolutely wonderful. And so the next myth we're going to talk about is the military doesn't teach transferable skills. Another
1: misconception that is that has kind of worked its way in and it assumes that somehow operating in a military environment is vastly different than operating in a business setting or in the civilian world in a nonprofit. A number of organizations have developed a military skills translator that allows employers to understand veterans, really helps dial in and and helps veterans find positions that are similar to what they did when they were on active duty. So just before our talk today, I just visited military.com's translator, which asks what branch of the service I put in Air Force, and it asked my military job title. So I put in surveillance radar journeyman. Um, Immediately, the system matches what I did in the Air Force to a number of similar civilian equivalent jobs. Quality control at Amazon, facilities manager at Aramark, maintenance supervisor at Randstad Engineering, just to name the top three. And there are over 50 on this list. So when I was serving in the Air Force, I worked on the radar system of the E3 Sentry AWACS aircraft. And it was those crucial electronic skills I attained there that landed me a job at Siemens Medical, working on MRI machines and CT machines right out of the military. And not to brag, but there were several companies that were knocking on my door that wanted those electronic skills at their company. So I think these forward-thinking companies, um, and I can name a few, you know, Intel's a really good one, Home Depot, Amazon, uh, dozens of others recognize the value that a veteran provides and really kind of dispel this myth that the military
0: doesn't teach transferable skills. Exactly. And again, it goes back to how it seems like some people view the military as a monolith. And there's so many skills. I mean, just the sheer number of jobs that are in the military, from the Army to the Navy to the Marines to the Coast Guard to the Space Force. There are so many different jobs that exist that each of those jobs has a transferable skill. Now, like we've talked, us, knowing how to then talk to future employers say in the civilian market about what that skill means or how to describe it is difficult but it's something that with you know some reading and some training could easily happen what i'm looking at right now is the aacnu the association of american colleges and university a big organization and it's their value rubrics and the value rubrics they have include critical thinking ethical reasoning, lifelong learning, global learning, information literacy, inquiry and analysis, intercultural knowledge and competence, oral communication, problem solving, reading, teamwork, written communications. And I just listed three quarters of all their rubrics and all of those easily apply to every person who was in the military. For example, intercultural knowledge. If you're in the military and if you are deployed somewhere besides the U.S., you have to know what the local population, what those people, you know, what they care about, what they think. And then even if you are in the military and say you were born in Utah and then you're stationed in Georgia, it's a different culture within the US, you have to know that. So there's so many different skills. Ethical reasoning, the military doesn't choose the conflicts they fight, but they have to then go through the critical thinking, the problem solving and the ethical reasoning to wage these conflicts in the best possible way that obviously hurts the fewest people while still accomplishing the goal. What do you think about all the skills at AACNU and how they instantly apply to really every military, active military and veteran? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think
1: that list and those rubrics are extremely telling in that, you know, you you have sort of identified a lot of the skills that are instantly applicable to pretty much anybody who serves in any role in any branch of the military my challenge really is hiring managers will will typically hire what they know and they know the college experience so when faced with the choice between the fresh young grad out of college or the veteran who's just spent 10 years defending the country they'll choose the college graduate almost every time I would love to incorporate that list that you just said when I speak to these organizations um, just to show that all of these skills are
0: coming into your organization when you hire veterans. Exactly. I completely agree. And today we're speaking with Wes O'Donnell, and we'll be right back after a short break. At American Public University, we believe quality education must be more affordable. That's why, as a leader in online higher education, we focus on minimizing costs and maximizing return on learner investment. And we believe higher education must be more accessible. So our online programs start every month. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. And we're back with Wes O'Donnell. And Wes, this brings me to our last myth, which is all veterans serve in combat. Yeah, this one actually kind of took me by surprise here. Um, You know, as a veteran, it seems
1: absurd, but there there really is a misunderstanding of what roles service members play in their jobs when they're active duty or when they're deployed, when they're in the military. So by the numbers, according to the Defense Manpower Data Center, there are close to 1.4 million people serving right now in the U.S. Armed Forces. That means that only 0.4 percent of the U.S. population is active duty military. And of that percentage, a staggeringly small percentage actually see combat. And the reason is because the military isn't just made up of frontline combat troops. Uh, There's this massive support structure in place, Uh, the so-called tail-to-tooth ratio, And I think it was military historian Joseph Bond that says that this tail-to-tooth ratio incorporates communications people to allow for coordination and combined arms on the battlefield. There's medical that provides a level of assurance to soldiers and returns experienced fighters back to the battlefield after they've been injured. Logistics to keep a steady supply of fuel, ammo, food, water to frontline troops. Take any of these things away and the point of the spear becomes much less effective, maybe even inoperable. So the sheer amount of people it takes to support one combat soldier means that the probability of you bumping into a combat veteran in a room full of veterans is surprisingly low.
0: No, that's completely true. It reminds me of some of the commentary that I've been listening to about the Ukraine-Russian war. And if you know the exact quote, please correct me, Where. They've said logistics win wars and totally makes sense because as we see the Russian ineffectiveness, I guess I could say in in Ukraine, is them rushing with the point of their spear with no support and they're constantly getting bogged down and the Ukrainian defense, which of course has been absolutely amazing, is seems to be supported by a lot of logistics. And so, you know, without those logistics, without good rations, Without water, how effective can any combat troop be? They're there trying to do their job, a very difficult, obviously life threatening job. And if you don't have the ammo, if you don't have even, especially the intelligence, you know, potentially lives are lost for no reason, an ineffective loss of lives.
1: Yeah. You know, we, we, we could talk for six hours about Ukraine and Russia. I've written pretty critically of the dumpster fire that is the Russian the modern Russian military right now and i think the 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 irony is that had putin stopped short of invasion his military would still be considered a threat and we would still be worried about the red army and what he's shown by his war of choice in ukraine is that is military is a paper tiger because they just don't have the logistics capability, like you said. They don't value non-commissioned officers in their ranks the way the West does. Uh, that's why so many Russian generals are getting killed. is because they have to lead so much farther out front because they don't give their NCOs, their mid-level enlisted folks, uh, the authority to make decisions on their own and to manage the troops' combat effectiveness. So there's there's a number of reasons why, but. That logistics piece is so huge. And you have tanks completely running out of fuel. You have troops not getting fed. And then when you leave the troops up to their own devices, they start committing war crimes, uh, which is exactly uh,
0: tragically what's happening. Exactly. And just like you were saying, I mean, just the amount of equipment that goes into a military. I was watching a video about... I believe, Lithuania, and right there on the border with Russia, the part of NATO. Lithuania used to be part of the USSR, used to be part of the old Russian empire. After the fall of the old USSR, they became independent, as any country I think would want to, <laughs> that had been part of a larger country that I'll just say didn't respect the wishes of a minority population. And looking at their how they invest their money, and a good percentage, about 25% or more goes into literally just logistics and equipment. And that's the kind of investment you need to ensure that your military is going to be effective, because it's not always about the biggest gun, the newest gun, and things like that. It's about ensuring that those guns have ammo, or like you said, in Ukraine, those trucks have tires that aren't falling apart.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to put the icing on the cake, I I think it's, it's worth noting that, you know, even if you weren't a frontline combat soldier, even if you weren't somebody who has the coveted, what we used to call the CIV, the Combat Infantryman's Badge, every job is just as important in the military. You know, if you're driving a truck, that is just a crucial piece of the machinery that's needed for the U.S. to
0: continue its foreign policy. Oh, I completely agree. And you know, it just really lends to the fact that there's so many jobs out there in the military. And again, it's not about pointing a gun downrange to try to take out your enemy. Designing and intelligence, there's so many skills and so many jobs that are extraordinarily complex besides going into cyber warfare and drones, uh, jobs that are so highly technical, or even just the basic upkeep of every piece of equipment out there from tanks to fighter jets to the missiles that can fly halfway across the world and actually hit the target they intend to. There are some examples of them trying to hit in their aid of Syria in the the Syrian civil war. But some of those missiles falling into Iran, I believe. That is a huge logistical and technological failure, which could have inadvertently started a separate war.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And just to bring it back to those hiring managers who are looking at veterans and, and who are thinking that every veteran might have served in combat. Maybe we don't want a combat veteran at our company. We, we, we're concerned about PTSD. We're concerned about things like this. The combat veteran, as Americans, we've had great success at reintegrating these troops back into society. I just think that if you confront your own biases and you bring in a veteran into your organization and just have a chat with him or her, then I think you'll find that It's somebody who can
0: definitely be a valuable addition to the team. I completely agree. And just like you said, typically people hire what they're familiar with. And to create a diverse, interesting, intellectually diverse team, it requires you to go beyond yourself. And so, yeah, I completely agree. You know, to really consider everybody in front of you, consider veterans who have served their country in a variety of different roles, including combat roles. Because what they can bring to a team is potentially invaluable. An absolutely wonderful conversation today, Wes. Any final words? I would say that
1: if you're interested in hiring veterans or bringing veteran onto your organization, just be cognizant of some of the myths that are floating around out there and make sure you're asking the right questions. (laughs) And I, yeah, I think what you'll find is that that veteran candidate will be a super valuable addition to
0: any organization. Excellent. And today we were speaking with Wes O'Donnell about the top three myths some employers believe about veterans. My name is Dr. Bira Mercer, and thank you for listening. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU. American Public
1: University.